0: And I was looking around for a brick to pick up, to throw at it in case it turned on me. And when I picked up the brick, I looked around and it walked right down and we into the night.
1: Seeing is believing. And I have no proof
2: of what I saw that day other than what I can describe. It was huge. It was like the weightlifter of cats.
1: Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Hello, and welcome to episode 47 of Big Cat Conversations. For this edition, we are hearing about two cases in Kent in South East England, one way back in 1986, and another two weeks ago from this recording in March 2021. So a real contrast and an indication of the enduring nature of these Big Cat sightings. So our first guest is Rod, who is a retired police officer, and we're going to hear about some events from 1986, Rod is one of over 20 people who have been in touch with me in the last few days since the Radio 4 broadcast with Claire Balding. So, Rod, welcome and thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Here we are with the first podcast episode since the BBC broadcast with Claire Balding talking about Big Cats Wild in Britain. Very briefly, how did you feel when you heard that episode?
0: Well, I think I can sum it up in one word, Rick, as vindication, really. My sighting was about 30, 40 years ago. And when I heard her on her programme on Radio 4 and yourself, it was really quite something after 40 years because I hadn't been following anything since my first sighting all that time ago.
1: You had it completely off the radar because you don't do Facebook and you weren't sort of following it in the papers and whatever.
0: No, it was a relief, certainly if you've got someone like that who's a professional and obviously quite uh, high profile. It uh, It was nice to see her speak. And of course, what she did say was virtually exactly what I saw, but only at night.
1: We'll hear about that in a minute. And Rod, at this time, you were a police officer in Kent between sort of, Dover and Folkestone, roughly, is that right?
0: That's right. I was a rural officer for Capel of Fern, and I had four parishes, West Huffham, Orkham, Capel of Fern itself, and then uh, up the other side of the, the Orkham Valley, Yule Minnis.
1: Just inland from the coast a bit, and very rural.
0: Yep, indeed.
1: Yeah and you can tell us why it became called the Capel Panther a bit later on but can you tell us about the suspicious events which led up to having your sighting?
0: Quite often there are a lot of dog attacks on sheep and on this particular occasion around that time we had a, a particularly bad set of events with dogs killing sheep and it necessitated me to put together a a group of local farmers, including myself, when we had to do a rota for a 24-hour cover of the flocks to try and detect and catch these dogs that were killing the sheep. Um, And that's how we found myself out in the middle of the night looking at sheep. It was nothing to do with cats or big cats or anything. I knew it was dogs. A lot of experience with that. The whole intent was to catch the dogs doing the thing, which is what you need to do, really. You have to catch the dogs to better prove your case. That's what I was doing it out that night. I had a friend with me when um, we were out patrolling, it was about one, two in the morning, and we were coming down a, a single track country lane on the side of Orkham Valley. At that time, we had a, a six cell mag light, which is like a, a real sort of headlight out the side of the window, looking at this flock of sheep. And Pete then sort of very excited said, whoa, whoa, Rod, stop, look, look at this, look at this. When I looked in the beam, I saw what was immediately a cat to me, and, now when I look back and afterwards it obviously occurred to me as it moved its fluidity was something and it's this very long tail it's exactly what Claire described and other people I've seen since described this tail that sort of follows the body of the thing it's the way it moves it's cat-like and of course I had these lovely two pair of emerald green eyes look back at the beam and blink before it disappeared so anyway I said to Pete well yeah that's a cat Pete and he moved the beam across to a rabbit and he said well What's that? And I said, Well, Pete, that's a rabbit. I was getting quite irritable with him. <laughs> and he said, Yeah, but if that's the rabbit, what size was the cat? Because it dawned on me, I said, Well, it must be about like the size of an Alsatian. Then you realize what you've seen, and then you then process it. I know what we saw, and I'm, I'm absolutely certain what it is. And obviously, after all these years, and now gone back and looked at what other people have seen, and as Claire described it, it's precisely Words almost taken out of my mouth. It's exactly how I saw it, only in a, in a very bright torch beam. It was really something.
1: One bit which didn't make the final edit of that BBC broadcast was Claire was asking me about the eye shine and the colour of the eyes. I said, Well, sometimes green, sometimes yellow, but more often yellowy green or emerald green. And here we are.
0: Yeah, emerald green.
1: Yeah. Um, what do you think it was doing? Just a complete chance event, really, that you turned up at the same time it was about.
0: Yes, I mean, who knows? I mean, when you think about their behaviour now, it was probably it was out stalking, out hunting. I assume. I know from the sheep attacks that we had at that time. Having examined the sheep that were killed and seriously injured at the time, I know it wasn't that that had done any of that. I've no doubt that was the dogs. So I guess it was just doing what they do. We just happened to be lucky at that time to see it.
1: Yeah, how close was it from you guys?
0: About fifty yards. It disappeared into some brambles. We mucked on, on a marker post um, at the side of the road so we could come back in daylight and look for signs. And I went back, but through the brambles, and there was no soft ground underneath, so I couldn't get any footprints. And there wasn't any hair, all the usual things I look for to try and you know detect dogs that have been in amongst sheep. There was not a sign. It was almost like a ghost, like it'd never been. It was incredible.
1: It was after that that you met a local lady who had had sightings, wasn't it?
0: Yes, later on in, in the village after this incident, which of course we couldn't report what did we see. We saw something, we couldn't say anything about it. We had no evidence of it. But there was an 80-year-old spinster lived opposite me in the middle of the village and she phoned up one day to say she didn't want to waste my time but she'd seen a very strange thing, that she'd seen this very large cat sitting in the bottom of her garden in the early hours of the morning. She'd seen it twice, and she tried to photograph it, but it was too foggy. And she said, I don't want to waste your time. I said, no, it's OK. I think probably what you've seen is what I've seen. But then, of course, it's in amongst the population in the village. So I was a bit concerned, but obviously I could reassure her. I said, there's nothing you can do about it other than say you've seen it. Because I probably felt the same then as some people have the problem now, is that no one would believe you if you told them. I was able to reassure her from that point of view that she had seen what she'd seen, like I have, and left it at that. Then sometime later, I had a report from another resident on the other side of the village, again, in amongst housing, you know, a population of the village. um, who'd had a goose taken from the back of the garden, Um, and they were only reporting it to me because there were no signs of any animal attack, so they figured it was probably a two-legged fox, and that's why they called the police, and someone had stolen their goose. Because when I got there, they're absolutely right. There were no feathers, nothing. But i still got this in my mind. You know, I know that this thing has been seen by this other lady. And I'm thinking, well, obviously this thing's about... I know what I've seen. And then I looked at some freshly dug ground at the side of the enclosure where this goose was taken. And I saw these very large paw prints. Um, And again, it went through my mind. Should I photograph this? Should I take the evidence? But there isn't anything else. So I just remained cautious, worried, if you like, from the point of view of the fact that it was in amongst people. But I thought, well, eventually we're going to get a, a confirmed sighting. If this thing is going to be this regular, we're going to, someone's going to see it and we're going to catch it. It'll all kick off. But after that, there was never anything more. I never heard anything more from anywhere. So I assumed that after all that time, it's gone off or it's been captured or run over or got back by someone that's lost it. Who knows? And that's it. I left it at that, really. I could do no more. Didn't
1: you um, call out somebody from a local zoo to look at some of these signs as well?
0: When we had the goose incident, I then got a call sometime after that down into a farm in Orkham on the side of the valley, um, an isolated place, and the farmer there had got what he he was reporting basically a sheep worrying or, or killing. So I got there and he what he'd done he got an old ewe that had a lamb and she wasn't particularly well so he put her in an enclosure looks of a wire enclosure just outside the back of his place his bungalow he came out in the morning to find that the lamb had gone and the ewe was dead so he figured that obviously something would attack this ewe and killed it i got there looked at it there were some very very deep scratch marks in her face and whatever had killed this ewe had taken it engulfed it totally by the throat and throttled it tried to eat it, knowing what I knew then. I thought to myself, "Okay, now I'm beginning to understand what this might be." The cat obviously couldn't get it out the way it came in, so it took the lamb instead. Talking to this farmer, of course, he's got this in his mind. He's obviously got something going. We, we sort of exchanged notes, and I said, "Do you think it could be a cat or something like that by these marks?" Um, and he said, "Well, it's funny you should say that. The last couple of nights." Coming down the hedge road towards this enclosure, I've heard this very deep sort of, well, he says it's like a cat purring, but it was deep and sort of rough, like a big cat. So obviously, we then put two and two together. We're satisfied. That's probably what this was. And I said, well, look, there's been so many of these, a couple of these incidents now that I think from the point of view of of public duty, I ought to get some expert out to look at this in case we have got a problem you never really want to start a panic particularly when you've got no evidence but there was something solid now in front of me now yeah so i called out somebody i think they came from the local zoo um it's a long time ago now
1: and of course there were several local zoos aren't there in kent in that location
0: absolutely he came out he looked at it he concurred with the injuries on this U. because when we explained what i'd seen what the farmer had heard we put it all together. He became quite incredulous, I guess, quite understandably, he was getting a bit panicked. He said, it was almost admonishment to me, do you realise what you're describing, what you've seen, man, you know, for goodness sake? (laughs) So I said, yes, and with sort of a, a dismissal, he said, no, it's a badger with the marks on there, and it's a dog that's killed it, and off he went. So, left in that situation, what more could I do?
1: Yeah, you sense a bit of denialism, perhaps, more than anything.
0: Absolutely, and then of course we didn't have dna or my decision then was how far do you go how much have you got to let a situation develop before you need to sort of ring the warning bells but even then if you've got an expert out who doesn't agree with you you're still your hands are tied so in frustration i said well all you can do is you know wait with your gun if it comes back then shoot it my friend like lucky would a dog but uh you know we can do no more and from then on that was it. I never heard anymore, and I never bothered with it much until I heard clear.
1: <laughs> Amazing. Decades later, and you hadn't been exposed to the, the subject, but of course you hadn't gone looking for it on Facebook or on the web or Google no. searches or newspapers. But
0: No, when I did discuss these, these happenings with, uh, with a local colleague in you know, neighbouring villages, he coined the, the phrase the Capal Panther almost as a jibe, I think, and what more can you do if that that's going to be the majority view of an expert denial as well? You tend to keep your head down, really.
1: Yeah, that is interesting because I was fortunate to inherit or have passed to me the files from the late Quentin Rose. He was a guy who was investigating Big Cat reports, collaborating with police In through the mid 1990s up to 2002, when he sadly uh, died, uh, it was one of these cases where you go into hospital with sepsis and it's not sorted quickly or or realised quickly, and within 24 hours he was critically ill and then died, and they couldn't recover him. That's a shock. Yeah, he was uh, he was 44 actually. Our paths never crossed. I didn't get into the subject until a little bit after that. But his father looked me up and offered me all his files. And I can see from his files that in the sort of year uh, up to his death, he was actively in discussion with about four different constabularies across uh, Britain, including Kent, about Big Cat sightings. And they were absolutely going to engage him to pursue some of the sightings and speak to people. And at that time, he had... Developed a humane foothold trap, which um, his father patented, and you know, the game plan was that he was going to follow up sightings and reports and lays with farmers and landowners and see if he could actually trap some of these cats. It never happened. I think now there's maybe too many of them for anyone to try to do that um, successfully. And even mm. if anybody wanted to, I mean, that, that's another matter we can come on to a discussion on you know, how people feel about it in a minute. But it shows you that yes. Kent Constabulary's attitude did become very much one of awareness of the issues and consideration of some sort of follow-up action within what 10 years of your experience i suppose you might not have been aware though rod if there were any other staff members elsewhere in the county experiencing this because if, if you weren't talking to everybody and you didn't have email of course at that time so could have been other cases elsewhere that you just weren't aware of
0: correct It's not a topic that comes up for general conversation, particularly if it's a bit like a UFO sighting. It's treated in the same way. Unless someone's seen it or feels the same way, you get a very negative response, don't you? So you tend not to to go searching for it, I suppose.
1: I think it might be a bit different now, but perhaps particularly then.
0: Since you and I have spoken and since I heard what Claire said and I haven't spoken to you and looked at the websites and everything else, I mean, I'm delighted to see what I see because some of those sightings again there was one at Hawkins which was a village next to mine I would have no compunction at all now about speaking out as I am to you now and I encourage other people to do the same because the situation's not going to go away it's here and whilst I hear about trapping I don't fancy that I'd like to photograph them but of course when were they a problem then they were in amongst the population it's a difficult one but it's going to develop isn't it
1: yeah well they don't sort of breed like crazy
0: that was the thing about mine. It, that was 40 years ago. And I, I, that's something I said to you in my email, so probably Claire must have seen one of his babies, perhaps. But um, thereafter, I looked at everything else. So they're all over the place, aren't they? They're all over the country.
1: It does seem so, absolutely. Yeah, and not just black ones. So did you just regard it as a panther as you when you saw it? And- oh, yes.
0: When I saw it, it was a black panther with shining green eyes, without a doubt. Jungle Book came straight to mind. <laughs> I had no doubt what it was. Um, and neither repeat, we'd seen it. And then, of course, having seen the, the, the details with uh, so a photographic comparison you've done on one of the websites there with between a dog and the footprint of, of the cat, and I can tell you that's what I saw that day where the goose had gone. Now I look back and I can see that. So, yeah, that's what that was too. And the emerald green eyes were the one thing, and, of course, that's that comes up quite a lot in, in your sightings, doesn't it?
1: Yes, or not just mine, of course. A lot of of people and Facebook groups have sightings as well. Um, Incidentally, the the dog worrying and the sheep impacts, did you resolve many of those cases?
0: Yes, that particular one was was quite nasty because these dogs, which were a pair of Irish wolfhounds, were being set on sheep deliberately. It was very difficult to prove because you've still got to to attach the dog to the owner. Yes, it did get resolved. There's another whole long story involved in that, but yes, it, it does. A lot of the times it doesn't. You need to identify the dog, obviously. And quite often the, the sheep are attacked in an isolated area. No one sees the dog. You know that that's what's attacked the sheep. Yeah, sometimes we do. And I've had success in the past. I think now it would be even easier because we now have DNA, of course. In those early days, we didn't have that. You, you would look for signs that the dog would go under or on over a fence and leave some hair behind. So you get probably the breeze, certainly the color of the dog. Mm. As with paw prints, you know, you can look at the size of the dog as well. Invariably, sometimes you get a witness of the dog. I um, mean, just somehow you've got to put it to an owner. A lot of the time, their local dogs are just out of control. They've been let out or they've got out and they've gone to play with the sheep. They start to chase them to begin with quite harmlessly. And then the sheep stands and they nip the back, taste the blood. And, well, the rest is history, as they say.
1: Now, I've seen one case out of it. I happen to have an attic office next to a field of sheep. And I once saw that happen. A guy on the golf course you know a field away had had his dog go across the stream and get into the next field and that's exactly what happened and the dog went back to the owner and the owner would not even have been aware that that happened no in that five minutes that dog you know just got the taste for it and you know the primal action took over in that two minutes of madness and then it went back to be a good dog walking at the side of its owner
0: Which is why so many people will say to you, oh, my dog wouldn't do that. Well, I can tell you in my experience, every dog will do that.
1: Well, certainly this was a shock for me to see, 50 metres outside my office window. Luckily, I know the farmer, I got him round immediately, and had the dog been there another minute or two, I think that uh, you would have been in real trouble.
0: Yes, not a good thing, and and the animals do suffer dreadfully with it. Not just the anxiety or the physical injuries that go with it as well. If they're in lamb, they abort. It's devastating for the farmer and, and for the sheep, yeah. um, and, and of course it's simply irresponsible that the dog is out of control.
1: Yeah, so you were lising with quite a few farmers. Did you get any others gossiping about potential big cat sightings and big cats?
0: Obviously if I'd had a sheep attack then, I would be looking very closely at the sheep that had been worried by dogs, and I would know that that would be the only evidence i never brought up in conversation do you have this problem though i do actually at the moment know somebody down in this neck of the woods um who i will be talking to after my experience now to find out and that's a gamekeeper that's been in the game for a very long time on their land they have a lot of deer and i bet the money you like if i bring this conversation up with him it will be interesting and i'll let you know if it does
1: yeah yeah it's Always interesting to see a suspicious deer carcass that is very surgically, clinically, you know, taken out and eaten up. They look like a fillet of fish sometimes when the cat's uh, had its fill. Yes. Yeah, we've had a a case like that in Gloucestershire last week, actually, was in the papers. It certainly ticked the boxes. As I said on the Claire Balding broadcast, if they're doing it to deer then they're helping cold deer aren't they if it's a bit different if they're doing it to sheep and luckily they don't seem to do it to sheep in so many instances
0: we're lucky so far
1: that brings us on to your view in a way it's a bit of a tough question for you because i'm putting you on the spot having come back to the topic after you know decades uh, not really considering it but reflecting on it now, and the fact that, as you said, there do seem to be credible sightings right across Britain, more or less. How do you feel about the fact that we could have a small population quietly naturalising behind our backs, as it were?
0: Well, I'm confident and settled in knowing that they're about. From that point of view, I have no doubt they exist, should we say. Mm -hmm. Having caught up on the last 40 years of uh, sightings, that's really... Made up my mind for me with everything that's confirmed from my sighting and my experience of that dead ewe that time. I suppose the concern is that certainly down here, a lot of the villages are now expanding with more housing, more dwellings in the, in the rural areas in the villages. So there are more population in the rural areas on the outskirts, of course, of farmland, etc. So I'm concerned that we're going to get more sightings the 90s i was on patrol when i was in ashford then there was a call from some customers at a local supermarket who had seen what they described as a big black cat going across this field Mm -hmm. so they're always around on the population it's very crowded down my end of the woods i think we're going to be brushing shoulders or noses with these cats i think pretty soon if you say they don't breed too quickly and then Mm -hmm. then what if they start interfering with the population and, and cause a few more concerns, real concerns, then people's fright, well, the thing I suppose I was trying to avoid at the time will come to fruition, won't it? Which will be a mild panic, I suspect.
1: <laughs> I think that's the difficulty for the police, isn't it? By sort of admitting yeah. it. I think a lot of us, we recognise that police quietly do take it seriously, but quietly don't broadcast much about it they just go about the job roll their sleeves up and try and liaise with people and give them moral support and do what they can but as you say you can it's a bit like overreacting to the odd few cases of um concerns of blood clots with a vaccination isn't isn't it you can talk people into concerns that shouldn't be there i think the police have have damned if they do and damned if they don't sort of recognize it or broadcast any ideas about it
0: and rural policing is um it's the poor relation at the moment because of lack of resources. Uh, rural policing itself has become a bit of an issue, as I'm sure people have seen on other BBC programmes. It's been brought up more than once. So that close connection with the rural community is not as good as it was in my day. When you think that they had a police officer to themselves for four parishes, that's you know, sort of 30 square miles, that doesn't exist now. But you have got what you've got now, which is the social media and, and your podcasts etc and people can now talk openly and so i think the gap's been filled as far as that's concerned and and if you publicize as you do going on your talks to country shows etc if the police can understand that there is actually a place where they can put this information and send people to very much like victim support your community can talk amongst themselves and indeed come out check confirm if they end up with a are you like I? I had to confirm a lot more
1: or not? Because there's others to compare it with. Yeah. What we can do to witness is say, or somebody's got an incident on their land or whatever, we can help them compare it to previous and other goings on where there are parallel issues and that that is yeah. helpful to some extent. It won't resolve things. But I think the other thing no. I would say, and I don't know how you feel about this, because there's no right or wrong and I don't want to force attitudes on anybody, but They luckily do seem to be largely behaving themselves and they pretty much behave themselves in their native countries as well. These types of cats, the black leopards and uh, the pumas and cougars. Uh, So it's not like, you know, they are beasts on the loose looking at us as part of their menu or, you know, maybe it's pets and maybe it's, you know, overdoing the sheep killing. It's those kinds of things that we just have to keep an eye on, perhaps. Yes.
0: Yes. If we end up with a situation where it's pretty obvious as one has taken a real taste to livestock, then uh, but then we'll just have to do what I did all those years ago and arrange amongst themselves the community to watch it and wait for it and sort it.
1: Yeah, even sorting it, of course, is very tricky though. And, and again, people would have different views on how to sort it. And, yes. <laughs> yeah, and of course, not, not. And some some farmers are, you know, remarkably tolerant. It might depend on how much of an impact they are getting, but. It is surprising. Not everybody feels the same, you know, in in all camps. Can't um, generalise, really.
0: No, they're fine at the moment. I'm pleased they're there. I think it's remarkable. Mm. And I don't think they're going to cause us any problem for the moment.
1: Yeah, great. Well, thank you very much. It's so nice to hear from a former serving police officer. And anything else you want to say? Anything else we haven't covered that you think we ought to just touch on?
0: I simply encourage people now, particularly after my experience of 40 years, out of the loop, to get in the loop. And if you've got something to report, then get on and do so. And don't be worried about it, because I think there's enough evidence now that uh, you shouldn't worry about speaking up if you see something. Keep reporting.
1: <laughs> including to the police. Absolutely. The challenge now is that there's different places to report them to. Quite. But uh, including to the police, certainly, Yeah great well i'm sure listeners are very grateful to you for talking about this and reliving it and a remarkable incident and the difficulties you faced sort of emotionally and tactically as a police officer and as a human being all those years ago but uh, great to hear from you rod and thanks ever so much for coming on the show you're most welcome thank you very much rod all the best For our Interval Words of the Week this time, we have in fact a brief tribute to Ian Hunter, who sadly passed away earlier in March 2021. Ian was the founder and the coordinator of the Big Cat Sightings in Scotland Facebook group. He was greatly respected in Scotland and we were due to have him as a guest on this podcast in a future Scotland episode. He had had three sightings which we would have heard about, and he was due to discuss with us what he'd learnt from running a Big Cat Sightings Facebook group. I'm grateful to Paul MacDonald in Scotland for passing on the words that he wrote in memory of Ian on the Facebook group there, and here is an extract from Paul's text. Ian was not only extremely passionate and knowledgeable about the subject of Big Cats in Scotland – but was also caring enough to create a forum here for the collective sharing of knowledge, experiences and ongoing research. It is only from these elements that we learn and develop as individuals and as a community. So it's great to hear that Wendy and Paul, the other admin members, will be keeping the Big Cat Sightings in Scotland group very much alive in Ian's name and spirit. Good luck to you guys. Righto, for the final part of the episode, we are returning to Kent and our next guest is Laura from the Medway area. So that's the opposite north end of the county from the location we have just heard about from Rod. Laura had a startling close up encounter with a big cat in her garden recently. She lives in a very residential area, so this is an unusual case. The quiet neighbourhood conditions of lockdown may be relevant, with less traffic about and less disruption generally in the neighbourhood. What follows is Laura's full testimony. When we did the recording, she couldn't hear my line well enough, so she just went for it and she spoke about the experience in a spontaneous monologue in one take. So here goes with Laura from Kent.
2: Town, the other night I was going to get my ginger Tom in, my tango, I was quite shocked, well more than shocked, couldn't get the cat in because he suffers with IBS, he was outside and all of a sudden there was this great big, it was like a great big wind went past me, nearly knocked me off my feet and it sounded like a high speed train when they say, stand back from the station, the same as on if on a motorway. I thought, what the hell is that? Bust the wind, because it wasn't a windy night, it was a silent night. And the next thing, looked to my right to see a large cat. The large cat being, well, I don't know whether it was a puma or a black leopard, whatever you want to call them. The thing is, the animal would, very, very large. It was jet black. It also was inky blue with light black and it had piercing green eyes. It had stopped in a striding position. Now, I couldn't believe it. It was near my catnip and near my table. I reckon six foot, if I was lucky, from me. And I was stood under the porch window. What had spooked it was the searchlight had come on, and the animal looked at me, turned round. It had its head bowed in the striding position, and it turned its head round and looked at me with these green eyes. I made quick contact and looked straight towards the tree. At that time, I thought, I'm not going to be frightened. I've got to just register what's happening. The brain couldn't function. I thought, is it an station, Or double the size of an Alsatian? Like a leopard or a puma or some cat that's shit black. Bigger than two Alsatians put together. Muscular rump and a curled tail. And the paws were like paddies. Now, I've got a six-foot wall and fence. With the actual wall, I kept looking at the tree. I thought, keep perfectly still. It's not going to attack you. It's not going to attack you. And when I went to look back, it had gone. And it must have cleared where my fence is and the wall. I was in shock. I came back indoors. Tango came in 10 minutes later, hackles up my ginger tom, and all my cats have been very, very nervous. They've been on eggs. I've got my calico, my ginger boy, and, well, call it a Torby that I've got from Cats Protection. The Torby one, she is at that window, my patio window, about 10 minutes always before the blooming thing must turn up in the garden because all the cats have been on edge for weeks. I noticed I had a high smell of urine up the fence and we've had foxes coming into the area because I live not far from a riverfront. We've had foxes coming into the area. I've fed them in the past in the garden. I'm not doing it recently. End of a night time, we've heard foxes being killed. My neighbour has also stated he heard a noise the other night and he said he never heard a noise like it. I said to him, I said, well, I have seen a puma. I've not gone mad. I'm quite sane. And he said, well, I can honestly say I've worked on building sites He said, we worked in fields. He said, I know the sound of a fox, but he said, I don't know what on earth that was. He said, it was horrendous noise. It woke me up. And that was the other night, I think Monday night. Now, last night, we had the same um, noise again with the foxes or a fox. It sounds as if it's been attacked or something. Well, I shall stay up tonight and try and record more video evidence. I've noticed scratch marks on concrete, and I've had urinating up the fence. Now, this isn't a fox or my cat. I've had to throw water up the blooming fence. I do have catnip in the garden, whether that might be a in the animal, but it was a beautiful, magnificent animal Um, I never ever thought I would see a fuma in my garden, to be honest, or a, a leopard or whatever. I can only tell you it was Jack Black with indigo blue and piercing green eyes. It was a beautiful creature, and it was in stride, but the force of the creature, when it come over that wall, well, it was just like wind in front of me, and I just, Felt myself go back. I thought it was a gust of wind or something because I thought, well, I did have a swear up and say something when I was looking in the garden and then I turned my head when the light come on to see that. But it was the element of surprise with the animal. He was quite surprised to see me and I was quite surprised to see, well, I say it's a boy, it might be a boy or it might be a girl, I don't know. But the animal was quite surprised to see me as well. Just by ignoring it, I thought, just let it be. Let it just go out. Tango come in 10 minutes late. Like I said, hackles up. He's quite safe All my cats are. But I'm very vigilant now because they've been very, for the last few weeks, on alert, I would say. On alert by the patio window, and especially of the night time. They're all nice and relaxed indoors now. But it's always they start alert from, I'll say, anything from our past ten till about three in the morning. Last night it was so bad, this was 20 to 12, that there was people out in the road wondering what was going on and it sounded like several. um, It could be foxes or there was something going on and it was a hell of a row because what I said on the video that I recorded, was ungodly row, and it was. It was like an ungodly row. It was horrendous. It wasn't foxes mating, and um, I have heard blood-curdling cry they make when they're on heat. It wasn't that. This sounded like an animal being dragged round the street, because whatever if it is the large cat and the big cat, when it catches it, it sounds like it's dragging something round the road screaming its head off, which is the fox. I don't know. I've got a McDonald's near me. I don't know whether that's attracting the foxes because of all this lockdown with the uh, pandemic. So the foxes might be coming in to rake through the bins at the McDonald's and then hence have a wander up here and hence, I'm not an expert, but just saying the uh, puma might be following them. I live near a river the river's about five, six minutes. You're down by the riverside in a car. I also would say there's a golf course not far. Really, I'm just hoping that the traffic comes back and things are lifted because I think it has got used to its roots. But I'm prepared now. I'm prepared with Mets. So I know what I'm dealing with. The police have told me to ring 999, and I've also rung the RSPCA. I would also say that with the creature, luckily I'm trying to keep my tax in. I have mentioned to some of the neighbours, they told me to warn people in the area, which I did do. I did tell people in the area on a group on Facebook. A lot were interested, and there were a lot of believers. But then you get the element. That don't believe the disbelievers, but I think now with stuff happening round here, people are going to start to have their eyes open a bit more. Because I think one of them, or oh, I don't know how many's out there, but there's one of them is definitely wandering around. I feel with the creature. I've told the police. I've told the RSPCA. Please, please don't shoot the animal. Plus, I feel a bit protective towards it, believe it or not, though it's a wild animal. And if you said, we're going to go and look for a wild animal, I would have said, no way. And yet the animal has come to me. Well, we were in the maybe the wrong place at the wrong time or whatever. And the cat was out, luckily. Tango, I'm very, very um, careful with Tango now, going out. I don't like going out at night. Um, he is a nighttime cat that likes to do his round. But I would say is I've got a lot of respect for the animal because it's out there. I expect it is hungry. Everybody's told me not to put food down for it, which I wouldn't do. I just hope that no harm comes to it because it is a lovely creature and I've told them, you know, I don't want anything to happen to it. I wouldn't want it shot or uh, anything to happen to it. So I feel a bit protective towards it, believe it or not. And uh, I do hope with the creature, because it's a very built-up area and it's not going to be long before somebody else is in the area. At the moment, with these lockdown, the roads are totally deserted round here and no traffic and the buses aren't running, obviously, like they normally are. Early, even to, up till midnight, they used to run. So with the creature, it's obviously just running the roads, and it's having the time of its life at the moment. It looked to me like a young cat. It didn't look an old cat. It looked like a youngish. It was fit. You could tell by its muscular legs, its paws and the padding. I never heard a thing when it jumped over. Never heard a thing when it left. And it was within seconds. As for the police trying to catch it. I think they'll have a hell of a job because it's so quick. There's not a lot more I can really say. Thank you. Thanks to Laura for such a
1: thorough statement and a clear description of events. There are several points about this encounter which are well worth highlighting. In fact Laura mentioned afterwards to me in a follow-up phone call that she didn't mention that when it arrived it smelt the air when it stopped. It was close to the catnip so Laura wondered if it was smelling that or whether it was just reading its surroundings. It is incredibly rare to have somebody actually next to a cat when it arrives at high speed and stops and Laura certainly felt the draught of air, so that is a new one for me amongst all the witness reports I've received, that rush of wind and draught right next to the witness. Also new to me is this indigo blue sheen on the coat that Laura mentioned, which presumably was a product of the sensor light illuminating the dark coat. And again, few witnesses are going to be that close to a predominantly black cat with a sensor light illuminating it right in front of them. Also of note is the domestic cat's behaviour, and they of course might give Laura a clue about the future return of this cat. Finally, we must point out that police are taking this very seriously. They have genuinely said that Laura should be in touch with them if anything happens, and the police did encourage Laura to put a message on local community Facebook and website groups. If we hear of any other updates from Laura, I'll certainly pass those on. But meantime, Laura, thank you very much for being such a helpful guest. OK, in the queue for coming episodes are Cornwall and North Wales, but it is Ireland next time. Time to sign off now, so thanks again to Rod and Laura for helping us with this edition. Thank you for listening, look after yourselves, and till next time, all the best.